Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. Are you happy? If not, when was the last time you felt truly happy at work? What do you look forward to when you wake up every morning? Just because you're approaching, let's say, 50 doesn't mean your journey is over. What obstacles do you need to clear out of your own way. In other words, is it time to reinvent your life? What are you waiting for? Well, that title is not a coincidence. It's the name of possibly the most important book of 2019. And we have the author with us today, Kathy Sharp Ross, here in our studio in New York City to help guide you to create the life you've always wanted. But let me first tell you a little bit about Kathy. There's a lot of fascinating stuff here. She lives in LA. She was born in Australia, where she told me that Olivia Newton-John was her babysitter, which I just still think is one of the coolest things ever, but was not happy to see her when she was 16. But that's a whole other story. Then she lived in Israel, where she may have dated my first cousin in 1976, but that jury's still out. Then she moved to America, to Los Angeles and Beverly Hills as a teenager. And she has crushed it in the entertainment industry and is the founder and president of the Sharp Alliance, where for the last 25 years, she is one of the top marketing and promotion companies in L.A. with sponsorships, branded entertainments, and, of course, social media today. Kathy's worked on Super Bowls, worked with legends like Quincy Jones and Kathy Smith and brands like Coke, World Cup, Ringling Brothers, which actually I, I know the Feld family very well, but that's a whole separate thing, to name a few. She writes for Huffington Post and gives motivational workshops globally. She's very active life in the nonprofit world, but today she's here to guide us through the discovery of the whole self and empower courage and curiosity to reinvent any or all parts of your life. And we'll tell you later more about the book. So buckle up your seatbelts as we welcome Kathy Sharp to Financially Speaking. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Thank you for having me on today. Great, great. Well, we love stories on the show and we love journeys. And, and like we said, you're started down under. So why don't you give a little bit of a sense of your childhood and, and what led you to your career in Beverly Hills? And, you know, I know we could go five hours on that, but kind of the highlights that you think got you to where you're at today, sure, the important absolutely. parts. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I grew up in Melbourne, just had an amazing childhood living with my parents, my two oldest sisters. And when I was about 10 years old, my father decided that it was time to pick up a move to the other side of the world. He had what we call itchy feet and thought it would be really fun to go live somewhere else on the other side of the world. So we moved to Israel. Uh, it was a really special and interesting time. It was 1973. So we landed and about three months later, the Yom Kippur War broke out. So here I was, this kid coming from a really cool, beautiful, pristine lifestyle and neighborhood in Melbourne to the war-torn <laughs> streets of Israel, and it was quite an interesting time in our lives, sure. but it was really very eye-opening. I think I was very blessed to have perspective on the scope and scale of the world around us, and we traveled a lot as a family, so my eyes were really open to a lot of cultures, a lot of different types of people, and... I think between my mother's sort of spirituality, she was teaching yoga when I was three years old, and my father's entrepreneurial itchy feet, mm -hmm. I was destined to be doing something very unconventional with Absolutely. the rest of my life. Well. 
And then four years later, we moved to Los Angeles. And my father was in the real estate business, so it seemed like the right place to be in the mid-70s. Beverly Hills High School was recognized as one of the best schools in the country at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's where we settled, and I've been living there ever since. Oh, that's great. So I'm still an Aussie at heart. I won't sound anything like who we're going to be talking to. In yes. Moment. Well, yes, this, we're all about accents <laughs> right. today. So, but, um, uh, it's, you know, it's still home, mm-hmm. but I've been very blessed to live in Los Angeles my whole life. Yeah, and the sun always shines. Yes, so. it does. I remember when I lived there, I think I went 10 months without rain. It actually drove me crazy after a while, Good. but like I get out there enough to enjoy it. So before we dig into the book and spoiler alert, we have someone we kind of teased here who's featured in this book joining us in a little bit. So, So go grab a Pepsi and wait for that moment. That may be a hint. Anyway, tell us about what happiness, this is kind of a deep question to just throw at you, but kind of tell us about what happiness means to you and why you call this a catalyst for reinvention. I think that we're all entitled to live the lives that we want. And the catalyst for this book actually was when I had an epiphany sitting with a friend over dinner one night that I've spent a lifetime owning my own business for 30 years, that most people don't get to do what they want, when they want, and how they want. And I hear that a lot from people. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in the early days, we're seeing it now later in people's careers where they're leaving the corporate world and now exploring opportunities. But we weren't seeing it along like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so there I was, an entrepreneur, running my own company, doing what I wanted, working with people that I wanted to work with, And everybody used to say to me, you're always so happy. You're always having so much fun. You're always working, but you're having such a good time. What's that all about? (laughs) And to me, it was the norm. And it was the way I felt everybody should get to live their lives. And it came to me that most people don't feel entitled. They feel like they go to work, they have a job, they have to do it, they've got to pay the bills. And that's kind of their destiny. And they talk about all the things they'd like to do and all the things they dream about doing, but they actually don't dig into it and start doing it because they have the excuse of, I don't have the time. Mm -hmm. I've got to do this job because I've got to pay the bills. And then they wake up 20 years later and they wonder what happened to their life. Bruce Springsteen has a a line. I usually quote Bruce Springsteen at least once a show, but this one, I just happened to see the Western Stars film earlier today and and interviewed the director. But in in one of the songs on the new album uh, called Moonlight Motel, there's kids and bills, bills and kids. And I just thought that was just (laughs) kind of beautiful because in in many ways that's kind of describes life for most people. And yet if you (laughs) ask the average person what they wanted to do when they were 12 or 15 years old, they'll tell you. Because everybody has this little dream, this fantasy kind of bubbling right under the surface, but they haven't actually engaged in it. And, you know, most guys are like, oh, I wanted to be a rock star or Mm -hmm. a baseball player. Well, when was the last time you actually picked up a guitar and played it? Right. And if that guy in the corner office that's miserable at his job just picked up a guitar and maybe put a garage band together and got the guys down the hall who are feeling the same way together on a Saturday, they'd get their groove on, they'd have a blast, and they may not mind coming back to work on Monday. And that's how subtle a reinvention can be. Mm -hmm. It can be something that simple that doesn't blow up and disrupt your life, or it can be the polar opposite. It can be something incredibly disruptive. Mm -hmm. But just back to your question about happiness, I think for me, 
the definition is truly owning what you do and knowing that you're in the right place, doing what you need to be doing with your life. That is happiness. And I think a lot of people aren't quite clear on how to get to that path. Right. They may have moments of it. They may engage in things that make them happy. But if you can sit back and look at your life and saying, I'm really doing what I want to be doing. And usually the big equalizer question is, if money were no object, right, right. what would you well, be doing right. with your life? And mm. that's when you usually get people thinking about, you know, if all those shackles were off, mm-hmm. what is it that you would well, really everyone's, want to do? Well, everyone's, I mean, not everyone, but m- the fortunate ones that are born, you know, in, in the USA, so to speak, those shackles are off and they can start and do anything. It just sometimes takes the 10,000 hours to, to get what you need right. to do. Absolutely. So a great leader and a personal hero of mine that I was actually honored to meet on the White House lawn in 1979, as my uncle wrote his biography, uh, Moshe Dayan, he said, freedom is the oxygen of the soul. And I was so glad you used that quote in your book to get people to start writing down in a notebook to first map out their journey. Why is it so important to work with paper and pen in the, in the computer age and iPhone age still as we you know approach this new decade? Right. I love that you picked up on that. It's one of those very special visceral connections that we make. When we write things down, our recall is better. There's a lot of scientific evidence and proof around this. For me, I can tell you personally, I spent a life as a kid keeping a journal and really documenting a lot of stuff in my life. But I find that now when you ask someone to make notes and to write things down and they do it manually, there is a level of retention and accountability that comes with that. And there's something that scientifically is proven that there is a greater connection to recall, but also to the intake of it is deeper. And I think it's an incredible way for people, and and you'll see throughout the book, I sort of say, stop. I mean, really stop. And put this book down and go get pen and paper and have that companion piece and make those notes. But try to do it with a pen and paper. You can do it on your iPhones or your smartphones or whatever it is. But in reality, there is sort of a more emotional connection to what you're creating and doing and a more open and creative way to then play with it as well. You can doodle, you can add to it, you can write arrows. It, it just goes back to that time in our lives when we were younger and we were learning and we were creating and we were using imagination. And electronics don't necessarily allow for that. So is this kind of then a generational thing? So the baby boomer generation, which all of us are, are part of, that makes great sense. The Gen Z might be a little bit more of a <laughs> challenge to get the, right. to get the yeah, paper no, in pen. No, it's true. And I notice that, look, I have a staff that walk yeah. into a meeting in my office and they all bring their iPhones, and right. their computers, not their notepads and right. their pens. And, you know, whatever works for them is fine as sure. long as they're getting exactly. it done and they are. And I think it is generational. And ironically, this book targets those that are probably 35 and over. Mm-hmm. So I think for the 35 plus, grab a pen and paper. Good idea. So you and I share a love for storytelling. You've written a lot of stories of people's transitions and their reinventions. And in your new book, you highlight a number of really, really incredible stories. Now, since we are fortunate enough to have one gentleman in the studio with us today, why don't you introduce him and let's talk about his reinvention success. 
Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm thrilled to have Brad Jakeman here today. Brad is probably a new friend in my life, and I'm very blessed. We have the Aussie connection in common, which just makes us automatically family. But uh, just a little background, Brad was the former president of Pepsi Global Beverages, and he is now the managing partner of Rethink Food, which is a very exciting business and company that he's in the middle of growing and building. And I'll let him share a bit more about what he's up to, but it's really a privilege. And I managed to catch Brad at a time that he was making a major transition by choice in his life. And I couldn't think of a better person to have interviewed for my book, Among the Many, but to have on this podcast. So, Brad, thank you for being here thank today. Thank you. Uh, you're going to be my publicist from now on. <laughs> um, that's the best introduction I've received for quite some time. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so, Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the background? So, how many years were you with Pepsi? I was with Pepsi for eight years, but mm -hmm. I've really spent the majority of my career in kind of big corporations. That's really all I had really known. Right. And you we, we, you grew up in... I grew up in Australia. Right. Um, I moved from Australia. I, I tell the story. I, I left Australia for six months, 22 years ago. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so I left when I was 27 mm -hmm. to have just a different type of experience. I wanted to live overseas for six months, grab the, get that experience. I was living in London and then come back. I always saw my life in Australia, but as... As happens so many times, kind of the master plan is a different plan than you think when you when you start executing it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the reinvention here, Kathy. You know, when you were choosing people for this book, and you have a lot of wonderful people in, in this book, including our mutual friend James Orsini, uh, who's president of the Sasha Group and works with Gary Vaynerchuk, what drew you to Brad's story? Well, I found to Brad's point, he had spent most of his life in corporate America, and it's a very bold and interesting time when one chooses to step out of it. I've had a lot of friends, especially as we get to the age we're all at, where they've been doing that for so long. And the notion of daring to do it is very bold. One really questions their identity and who they're going to be when they don't have that title under their name. And I knew that Brad was going through this move, and I just thought he'd have a fabulous story because he's a fun guy, and he's a creative guy. And I knew whatever he was going to go do, he was so on the right path. And I'm the kind of person that when someone says they're leaving their job, I clap my hands, I get excited, <laughs> I'm their cheerleader, I'm like, where are you going? What are you going to do? What can I help you with? Can we connect some dots? I've sort of collected people my whole life, right. so I have a lot of friends mm -hmm. and, and just wonderful people in my world. And I just thought, I love going on that adventure with people. To your point, I love stories. Mm -hmm. I love people's stories. It's probably why I'm doing a lot of what I'm doing. And I just knew that Brad would have something special to say about it because of what I'd picked up from who he was and what I've seen and the people, the company he keeps that I adore. So we have a lot of mutual friends. And I just, I wanted to kind of follow that journey with him. And I was not disappointed when he responded and then shared with me some really specific thinking around his journey, mm -hmm. which, you know, I'd love you to share a bit. I think the conversation around time 
and kind of how you looked at it and what prompted you to leave. And then sort of just that whole identity issue, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Because I've been hearing that a lot. Sure. As I said, so much of what you view as your opportunities are defined by the context that you happen to be in. And that's why I don't think a lot of us reach what our full potential is and why people, as you mentioned earlier, Kathy, don't actually become what they dream or dreamt once of becoming because you kind of get locked into this context and your context sets parameters for you without you even realizing. And that absolutely happened to me in corporate America. I loved working in big corporations. I love big corporations. My choice was not a choice to leave something that I didn't like to go to do something I liked. I loved my job and I was very fortunate to be able to leave my job at a time where I I loved it so much. But what I realized is that my universe of options. And if I, as I looked back on my life, very coincidentally, it wasn't even a strategy. It was just more of a coincidence, probably. Every seven years, I've tended to make a big change in my career. But it's a change, the biggest of which is just going from a different category to another category. So I've never worked in the same category twice, but I've always worked for big companies. Interesting. And so I, I kind of liked that seven-year cycle, and I came up to that seven-year cycle at PepsiCo, and it wasn't as if that was marked in my calendar. It was just that at that seven-year mark, I started having these reflections on what I could be doing. And I started to talk to friends about it, and a very close friend of mine, Cindy Gallup, gave me some fantastic advice, which I have subsequently passed on to a number of people. And it goes to Kathy's point about writing things down. Cindy said, take a notebook with you for a month and do your own time and motion study of yourself and start writing on that notebook, create three columns. The first two columns aren't actually that insightful. It's the third that is. The first column is, as you go down your day, write down all the things that you're doing that really make you happy. What are you really getting engaged by? What really excites you? How do you, like, what are the things that really, really motivate you? Types of tasks, call them. And the second category, obviously, the inverse of that is write a list of those things that you really hate doing. What are those things that just suck the energy out of you? What do you dread to like have to think of uh, doing? What are those things you put off doing because you detest them so much? And then the third column, which is, I think, the most insightful one, is write down those conditions under which you enjoy most working. So I'll give you an example. One could be, I enjoy working with teams of people, or I enjoy a condition where I'm not traveling a lot, or I enjoy a condition where I'm traveling a lot and I'm out of the office a lot. And that was very particularly insightful. And Cindy then said to me, when you finish that, at the end of that month, you've got the brief for your next opportunity. It won't tell you exactly what it is, but at least it'll give you a framework to make some decisions around. So I did that. 
And I realized when I looked at my own personal time and motion study, and I think this is true for anybody who begins, as we all do in our career, we, we tend, we're practitioners, we're on the front lines, we're doing things, we're learning a craft. And as you get progressively more senior in companies, you get further and further away from that. And other people in your team are doing that. And you're t- taking on kind of broader responsibilities, you're managing bureaucracies, you're managing relationships, you're managing kind of the broader, you're greasing the skids for your team Mm -hmm. to execute well. And I realized when I looked at my list, I was heavily over-indexed on the things that I didn't really enjoy doing and heavily over-indexed on uh, being in a state where it wasn't consistent with the conditions under which I worked well. Specifically, I was traveling at least 85% of my time I was out of the country. I was spending a lot of time away from my friends and family, and that just was starting to take a toll. So that was my blueprint. But then you go, what the hell do I do next? And I've always been a big believer is that it's really hard when you're in, again, when you're in a context to define what you do next, because it's by definition defined by that context. So the only way to do it is to take yourself out of that context with no safety net. And that's what I did. And so... I was working at PepsiCo. Indra Nui uh, was the CEO who is today a mentor, a friend, and the most extraordinary person I think I've ever worked with. And she uh, was very supportive in helping me exit, disappointed but supportive of helping me exit in the best possible way. And then I remember my very first day out of PepsiCo where I wasn't waking up at 4.30 in the morning to go to the gym and to be in the car by 7, to be at the office at 7.45 and, and so on. And I woke up and went, shit, what have I done? <laughs> um, and then the universe started Showing delivering up, right? things. Yeah. The universe yeah. all of a sudden starts delivering things. Phones started ringing. I had more time to have dinners with people. I had more time to spend with people that I've been meaning to spend with a lot of time. And all these opportunities started coming up. And then I'd say to these people, well, what the hell were you waiting for? Like, why didn't you talk to me about this a long time Were you ago? scared? Were you scared initially with that first morning when you woke up? I mean, obviously, you a know, little how bit. long did that? I mean, I would describe it as an uh, kind of an, in, uh, an asymmetrical emotional state <laughs> um, in that you that. <laughs> are, one day you'll wake up and go, oh my God, I'm so lucky that today my entire calendar is just as I want it to look and that I'm doing not a single thing I don't want to do. And the next day you could wake up and think, oh my God, Mm -hmm. what am am I I? going to do with my life? Who am I? Am I still relevant? Do I still have content that is current? Do people still find me interesting and valuable? So it literally is, it completely vacillates between those two things. But in general, what I found is all of these things started coming to me. And as I said, I would say to people, what are you waiting for? And this is the interesting thing. And it goes back to context. You're in a context and they view you in a context. And Without doubt, everybody I asked that question of said, because we never thought you'd be interested. We thought you had the best job in the world. And why would we call you with 
this because it's probably not going to make you as much money. It's probably not going to be as prestigious, quote unquote mm-hmm. prestigious. And so we never thought you would be interested. So that's been a very, very interesting experience. And the, the three-column note that right. I wrote has helped guide me in, I learned that I wanted to spend more time in New York. Mm-hmm. I wanted to spend more time with entrepreneurs and the creative community. I wanted to spend more time getting back to my roots and my hip pocket strength, which is marketing and, and engaging with brands. And I wanted to spend less time in the bureaucracy that comes with a, with a very big company. And so that's why I decided to launch a venture fund. So briefly before we let you go, because I know you are jetting off to solve the Brexit problem in London right. tomorrow. Yes. yes. I, I think you'll be meeting with the Queen. I and, couldn't be doing everyone a worse else. job. Let's just say. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the venture fund and kind of what you're working on. Yeah. So the venture fund is, and I learned a lot about the food system, obviously, when I was at PepsiCo, with PepsiCo being the kind of second largest food and beverage company in the US. But we essentially are at such an incredible uh, moment in society as it relates to food and what we eat and how people think about food. And we are at a very interesting inflection point, just as you look at the world and climate and the fact that in the not too distant future, we need to feed 10 billion people uh, by 2050. And we need to feed 10 billion people with the same, roughly the same agricultural land as we have today, unless we decide to deforest the Amazon. Mm -hmm. We have to do it with the same amount, roughly, of water. And we have to do it, frankly, without staying at the pace at which we have been as a society destructive to the environment. Mm -hmm. What that means is that innovation has to be the savior here, and we're seeing it. And so I started the Venture Fund largely to make better-for-you foods and beverages available to more people. And I recall when I was at PepsiCo, I used to do market visits. And one of the markets I never really visited because I lived here was New York. So I decided to kind of walk around the bodegas and the supermarkets of New York. And what I found as I was on the east side, uh, the Upper East Side, and I was looking at shelves and I saw all of these amazing better for you and good for you foods and beverages that were ubiquitously available. The stocks were, the, the shelves were stocked high with them. Then I went 10 blocks north to Harlem and there wasn't a fresh fruit or vegetable to be seen. And what I realized is that all of those foods and beverages that many of us have an opportunity to buy that are distributed in our local stores are not distributed and available to a lot of people. And it's not because entrepreneurs who created them wanted to start a business that made rich white people healthier. Exactly. It's that the entire food supply system was built for a different type of outcome. It was built for more processed foods, more harmful packaging, and so on and so forth. And so my belief and our belief at Rethink Food is if we lean in with our capital and with our expertise, we can help scale companies that are in this new food space, whether they're consumer packaged goods 
or whether they're ag tech or packaging tech or enterprise software to reduce food spoilage. This country, despite the fact that we have a significant issue with food availability, wastes one third of the food that oh, we produce. Absolutely. We we actually just did a two-part series on uh, a UBS report called The Food Revolution. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we got dig very deep into that. And then we did a show on vertical farming a few weeks ago with a woman named Sonia Lowe, who was running one of one of the great global visionaries out there who's, who's doing this all over the world. And and I, I want to have you back. I would love to. Because, because I would like to talk more about it's you know, the rethink food. I think it's it, really it's great. It's such an important yeah. space. And right. when you look at the big food companies, their financial algorithm does not allow them to innovate to the degree to which is necessary. I think on average, big food allocates zero or three percent of net revenue to R&D on a good day. And then you compare that with pharmaceutical and tech, which are mid double digits. And so the solution is probably not going to be found in the big food companies, although they are trying. I think the solution is going to be with amazing entrepreneurs, amazingly diverse entrepreneurs who are bringing a new perspective to the problem. Well, great. Well, Brad, thank you so much, first of all, for sharing your story. That's in it's Kathy's a book. And really, really fascinating and very helpful for our listeners to hear. And we will have you back to specifically talk so. on that topic because that's something that just fascinates me personally. And it's, there's nothing really much more important yeah. than there. So yeah. um, I'll let you jet off to the UK. Thank you. But thank pleasure. you so much thank you guys for, for, for having me. being here. Um, Kathy, you've interviewed so many other folks, and I just wanted to maybe throw a couple of names out there yeah. and tell a few stories. I actually saw you a few weeks ago when you were in town seeing a woman do a play that I would have never guessed would be doing a play, and that is Diana Nyad. And I'll let you tell Diana's story. I think really? most people know who she is, but you can go from there. Well, one of the great privileges of my life is to have had Diana Nyad um, walk into my office after an introduction by somebody uh, a few years back. And having been one of the most accomplished athletes ever in my book, on her fifth try swimming from Cuba to Florida, at the age of 61. Right. And already an Olympic. Already. Uh, oh, right. I mean, yeah. everything that she's accomplished right. and done in her life mm -hmm. and swimming. And then she really kind of hung up her bathing suit and goggles for quite some time and then came back and just really just she was not going to settle until she accomplished her dream. From the moment I met her, I feel like I've had Diana and I had like the, the voice of many, many Diana sitting mm -hmm. on my shoulder. And whenever I doubt anything that I can do, I have a voice saying onward or mm -hmm. find a way. And she's one of the most inspirational, incredible women. She is now and came to me to talk about a new movement that she and her business partner, partner in the swim and best friend, Bonnie Stull. They actually created EverWalk, which is an epic walking movement to get America up and walking. And Diana felt that she had had her moment of epic. Mm -hmm. It was now time for everybody to have their own moment of epic. So right. she figured Ever so Swim figured wouldn't, wouldn't ever work. Ever Swim wouldn't yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to get a lot of people in the water. Exactly. But we can all walk. Yes. We can walk at lunchtime. We mm -hmm. can walk after work. We can walk the dog. We can walk three blocks to the grocery store. And if we're just more mindful, it's something that's important. So she's actually been an incredibly inspirational, influential person who I think really depicts the spirit 
of not only living out a dream and finding a way to make it happen, but is just an extraordinary woman and truly Absolutely. A special lady. And when you do get a copy of your book, you'll read more stories about Kathy Smith, Darren Kagan, Cal Fussman. We mentioned James Orsini. There's so many others. But I wanted to ask you if there are any certain signs or signals that tell people that perhaps they're getting burned out and it's time to reinvent. I know Brad kind of alluded to that a little bit and what was happening with him. But yeah. what, what are some common traits? Brad, it was interesting because Brad came at it from a very uh, methodical point. You know, he got some great advice and he took action to really sort of understand and chart the course of how he was feeling. Most people won't necessarily have those tools or recognize it at first, but I think there's always this nagging feeling of if you hear yourself saying constantly, I wish I was doing that. If you're looking at social media and looking at everybody else's life and you're feeling envious because they're traveling or they're doing some incredible humanitarian work or they're patting themselves on the back because they're playing tennis and you're not, or they're doing things that you just look at and go, God, I wish I was doing that. Those are real signals. It's, it's very much about listening to yourself. And I think a lot of us don't take the time to really listen. And listen doesn't just mean, yeah, I heard it. It means I heard it and I acknowledge it, and I'm going to sit with this, and I'm going to be aware, and I'm going to allow myself to not brush that under the rug or push it aside or compartmentalize it and put it in a box, but I'm actually going to realize that I keep thinking about this. So what am I going to do about it? What am I waiting for? And I think that's, it's the silent voice, and if we allow ourselves some silence, and some distance from the craziness of our life and our social media and our phones and our jobs and everything that's going on in our world, we will hear ourselves and we owe it to ourselves to listen. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. You know, so as much as in my brain, I still see myself feel like the 25-year-old sleeping out for Springsteen tickets as an occupation, (laughs) reality eventually sets into life and, and it's not always a bowl of cherries. And as Warren Zevon said shortly before, Uh, his untimely passing, you have to enjoy every sandwich. I bet a lot of people listening now are relating to this scenario. So how how does one get back to building that rocket ship that was supposed to be your life? Well, it may not be the rocket ship. And I think that's, that's the beauty of what you just asked, is that you may have had some really lofty goals when you were younger and you're sitting here now 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later going, well, I can't do that, so I'm not going to do it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not be a rock star, but you can pick up a guitar. I right. have an incredible story in my book about a man I met who actually was on an airplane going to a trade show that I was going to and I was being nosy and I said, what's in the in the case you're carrying? And It was a licensing show, so there could have been toys or fun things in there. He said, it's my violin. I said, really? What are you doing taking a violin to the licensing show for? And I didn't know this gentleman at all. just met him. And he said, well, I picked up the violin as a hobby. I bought one on eBay. I went on YouTube and taught myself how to play. And at lunchtime every day, I go across the street and I play 
And when I travel, I ask the hotel manager if there's like a ballroom or a meeting room that's empty so I don't disturb the neighbors. And I'm just doing it to nurture my soul. And I thought, if that is not my quintessential reinventor. Wow. I, so, and that, so yeah, he's not going to be playing at the, uh, with the LA Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Too late he, to call your book The Violin. It's a great <laughs> right? story. Wow. And it really, you know, such a, there are so story. many, it's about digging in and trying to go back to the things that either you were passionate about or maybe that have evolved as new passions in your life. And it's a great question because most people say, but I don't know how to rediscover what I want or what I love. And it comes back to what I said before. It's about listening to yourself. It's about being aware about the things that make your heart sing. It might be a color. It might be a font on a billboard. It might be some music that you hear. Like tune into yourself when your heart just kind of goes, ooh, I like that. Oh, that feels good. That sounds good. We're so unaware and we don't allow ourselves to tune into what's really going on. The more you do that, the more you collect that information, the more you'll start to realize where some of those little aha moments are. And those are the things to start listening to. And if you're certainly, if you're saying, I wish I were, I wish I could, I dream about this and you're not doing it, start putting that roadmap together. And write it down. So these days it's really hard to know what is success as the world really gets a false vision from social media and so-called influencers, okay? It's kind of hard to know what is real, and the anxiety there is causing a lot of problems. How do you battle that if you're, if you're trying to reinvent yourself and, you, you know, and you, you're on Instagram and, and you see all these people that are influencers and they look so happy and the pictures are so great and they're, they look like they're making all this money for, for whatever brand? You know, how do you, how do you yeah. battle that? Well, look, I think you've got to establish your own criteria for success. My criteria for success, especially when my kids were younger, they're now older and they're not at home all the time. One of them is, one of them isn't, was if I had a good day at the office and I spoke to most of my clients and we accomplished our goals for them and I could be home and sit around the dinner table with my children and hear their stories of the day. And my husband and I could just enjoy a meal together with the family. To me, that was the most successful day, period, end of conversation. Other people measure success with money. They measure it with health. They measure it with fulfilling their passions. And you're right. When we see all this stuff on social media, it makes us feel less than. Right. We have to remind ourselves that we, too, probably posted, if we're posting stuff, mm-hmm something fabulous last week and someone else looked at our picture of us being at a fabulous place and went, wow, look at her, look at him, look at what they're doing. I'm not doing that. Our success is so personal and we have to remind ourselves that that's what really matters. It doesn't really matter what those folks are doing out there. It's not real. No, it isn't real. It's not. So, so much more we could cover, but as I always say, a podcast should only be as long as you're walking the dog. So I want to end on this and then ask you one other thing briefly, but give people some simple steps to get started besides obviously getting this fantastic new book. And we will link to all of the places you can get this book, but how do you start? So 
I think listening to yourself first and foremost, starting to take pen to paper and really identifying what are your passions, what are your goals. I think Brad really identified, you know, these three columns that he spoke of are very similar to some of what we call the power tools in the book that are these exercises that are going to walk you through ways to really give thought. And again, it's, I say throughout the book several times, don't just read it and go, yeah, 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 and keep going, but really take the time. If you, if you want to shift and make some changes and create new abundance or new life goals, then really give it the focus, write things down, think about what it is that you want to do. And create a roadmap. It could be a five-minute reinvention or it could be a 10-year reinvention. And truth be told, when I set out to write this book, it was 10 years ago. And I have to say that it's kind of the great irony here in that I've been running a business and raising a family and busy with life. And all of a sudden, here I am 10 years later. Well, it's not quite all of a sudden. But in those 10 years, what you've learned. What I've learned, the feedback, you know, writing blogs for the the Thrive Global right. and Huffington Post and the Reinvention Exchange website and the social media. I've had a lot of feedback. I've had amazing storytelling happen. And I've had a chance to actually realize that as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other towards your goal, you will wake up 10 years later with a book in your hand. <laughs> and if I hadn't done that, so, you know, I'm here to and say- And a song in your heart. Yes. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to happen right away, but if you really want to do it, stick with it. Stay with it. Things will get in the way. Your motivation may change. Your reason to do it. Circumstances around you may affect you. But in reality, if you want it, just stick with it. It'll show up. If you need to put $5 in that coffee can every week, to save the money to get something done, you can do it. The book is called Reinvent Your Life. What are you waiting for? As we mentioned, uh, it's by Kathy Sharp Ross, and we will link in all of our places how you can get the book. And Kathy, thank you so much for being here. And also thank you for arranging to have Brad Jakeman here for stopping by to tell his story, which is really just just very uplifting and I think a really great example of, of, of what you're saying in the book. And thank everybody for listening this week to Financially Speaking. And remember to follow us on Spotify and hopefully by the time this airs, Apple. And as always, when it comes to saving for whatever your reinvented future is, pay yourself first. Have a great week. 